0: Well, I hope you spent time this last Thursday, it took time to, of course, gather together with friends and family, enjoyed time of fellowship, and I hope that you spent time thinking about and sharing with friends and family about all the ways in which you are thankful. Believers, I hope that you spent time praising God this past week, worshiping Him for for who He is and all that He's done for you. Not only has He created us, but He has redeemed us. Right, believers? I don't know how you do it. I know people do it in a variety of ways. Some gather around a table at lunch and they go around the table and share all the reasons that they are thankful. Some families get together and sing. We have a musical family, minus me. And uh, so we get together and we do that we sing together one year I think we uh, went around with the camera and we shared about ways in which we were thankful and the reasons why so that we could watch it later on and see how God had blessed that year there, there are lots of ways to show thanks and and to give thanks and, and to worship God in Scripture we see God's people giving thanks and worshiping Him in a variety of ways, through prayer, through song and dance like we've seen this morning, lots of different ways. Scripture is not silent when it comes to worship and how worship is to be Done. And though there are all kinds of different ways and examples of ways to show thanks and worship the Lord, that does not mean that God says we can just approach Him in any way we please. God is very specific on this. He tells us there is a right and a wrong way to approach Him in Worship. God makes it clear in His Word that how we approach Him in worship is very important. What you find, as you study through the Bible, look at all the different passages on the subject of worship. You see, God has a lot to say about worship, and you find God is He's gone to great lengths to stress the fact that there is a right and wrong way to approach Him. And so, so I, I thought it appropriate. This Sunday morning, this Sunday after Thanksgiving on this special Sunday with the Ugandan Kids Choir to take time out to focus on how we are to approach God in worship from Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 100. You don't know where the book of Psalms is, just turn to the middle of your Bible and you'll be close, if not in the middle of it. Psalm 100, the biggest, uh, Psalm's the biggest book. In Scripture, it's not hard to find. Psalm 100 is a psalm of praise. We did a study a few years ago as a church and we learned about the fact that though the book of Psalms is located in the poetry section of Scripture, it is multifaceted. Within the book of Psalms, there are various kinds and types of psalms. For example, there are psalms of wisdom. Wisdom psalms teach us how to live for God. There are psalms of praise. We're going to look at one this morning that that are extremely positive. They teach us how to... to praise God and relate to him when times are good there are also psalms of lament which are the the opposite of praise psalms they they teach us how to approach God how to worship him when times are tough during the storms of this life there are psalms of thanksgiving psalms of thanksgiving are like a a praise and lament psalm all rolled into one psalms of thanksgiving it focuses first things were good things got bad now things are good again and and here's how you worship God Through that. And there are also Psalms of Confidence. In these Psalms, the psalmist expresses great confidence in God no matter if life is good or bad. There are also Psalms of Remembrance. In these Psalms, the psalmist is looking back at the past, at how God has worked throughout history, and calls for his his readers to, to focus on the way God's worked in the past to give them confidence in the present and hope for the future. There are also kingship psalms. These psalms are are written about the kings of Israel, but many of them they look forward to the future king to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. So lots of different kinds and types of psalms. We're going to look at a praise psalm. This morning, Praise Psalms are, are fairly easy to identify. They're pretty obvious. They have a very clear and simple theme and simple structure. The theme is, is worship. In these Psalms, the psalmist is basically saying life is good. I'm good with God. He's good with me. Life is good in general. So I'm going to worship him like crazy, and I'm going to call for others to do the same. And they have a very simple structure. There is a call to worship a reason for worship, and a further call to worship. Very, very simple. Now, some of you may be in here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I don't really know how this sermon and this psalm is going to apply to me today because this is not the season of life that I'm in. If I'm being honest, though it's the holiday season, though we just had a a wonderful, happy, joyous worship service, things, if I'm being honest, are not good for me right now. I could probably better benefit from a psalm of lament. If this is you... My prayer for you today is that you would see, though life may be difficult for you at the moment, though you may be struggling spiritually, though you may be beaten up by the difficult circumstances of life, I hope you see in this psalm this morning that despite all that, you have been blessed beyond measure. Especially you, believers, because you have been created by God and redeemed by Him and for Him through Jesus Christ. That is worth a lifetime of praise right there, isn't it? Well, let's look at this psalm of praise, Psalm 100. It's clearly a praise psalm. You see it from the very beginning. Look at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist begins by saying, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Do you hear the call to worship here? Very clear, right? Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come into His presence. This is a call to worship at the beginning of this psalm. And then notice, He gives the reason for worship. There's a call to worship, then a reason for worship. Verses 3 and 5. The psalmist says in verse 3, It is the Lord who made us, and we are His. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. So so here's the, the reason why we're to praise the Lord. Because God made us and he redeemed us. Because he is good. Because of his steadfast love that endures forever. His faithfulness that extends to all generations. That's the reason for worship. And then Remember, praise psalms, they have a further call to praise. We see that in verse 4. Look at it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So there's the further call to praise. Clearly a praise psalm, right? Through and through we see this. But get this. Though that's the case, though this is a a psalm of praise, it's, it's much more than that. Within this psalm, I want you to see this morning... We have a blueprint for how we're to praise the Lord. The psalmist provides us a blueprint for how we're to do that. For the rest of the morning, briefly, as we finish up, I want to I break this short psalm down so that we have a better understanding of the proper way to approach and praise God. Notice several things here. First, we learn that God commands all people to worship Him. That is a command. Look at verse 1. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, who? All the earth. All the earth. Let me ask you this. According to this verse of Scripture, who does God want to worship him? Everybody, right? All people everywhere. This is a universal call to worship, for all people everywhere to worship the Lord. Now now let me ask you this where is this book found, the book of Psalms, in the old or the New Testament? It's in the old, right? Isn't that interesting? You see, many people, when they think of the books of the Old Testament, they think of them as being all for the Jewish people. We just focus on the New Testament books because we're Gentiles. They believe that these books only pertain to them. But here we see early on, long before Christ's earthly ministry, God has had his heart set on the nations, on all peoples everywhere worshiping him. And as we study through the books of scripture, we find that this has always, been the way. From the beginning, God has always had this desire to be known and worshiped where He is not known and worshiped amongst all peoples everywhere. Folks, this includes all of us in here and everyone out there. This includes your neighbor across the street and our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who don't know Him across the world in Uganda, right? Everybody. Something else I want you to see here in verse 1. I really want you to get this. Notice here, we're not asked to worship. We're commanded to do it. That is key. The psalmist doesn't say, if it's not too much trouble, if you have time in your busy schedule, could you please carve out some time to make a joyful noise to the Lord? He doesn't say, if you feel like it. Would you mind taking time out of your day to worship him? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, make, make a joyful noise. That word is in the imperative. You know what an imperative is? It's a command. Something we find all throughout God's word is that God doesn't request worship, he demands it. He demands it, which means... If we don't worship Him, we are being disobedient to Him, which many are today. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not worshiping God, you're living for yourself. Your life centers around you and what you want, your desires, your wants, your needs, you, you, you. Listen. God's word is clear that if this is you, you are in rebellion against holy God because you're not doing what you were created and commanded by God to do. God has not created you for you. God has created you for him for his glory. And he demands you to give your life up and over to him and to make his son your Lord and live out the rest of your days under his authority and for his glory. And if you resist that calling and continue in unbelief, you will pay the ultimate price, the eternal price for that rebellion and disobedience. And that's the loving truth. It's not my words, it's God's words. That's the first truth there. When it comes to worship, God commands that all people worship Him. Second, God wants His people to worship Him joyfully, gladly, and willingly. Joyfully, gladly, and willingly. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Pay close attention to the words joyful, gladness, and singing. These words tell us a lot here. Like I said in the introduction, these verses tell us God cares about the way in which we approach him and the way in which we worship him. The psalmist is clear here. God desires to be worshipped joyfully, gladly, and willingly you see God knew that some might hear the command in his word to worship and do it with the wrong attitude, out of a sense of obligation. He knew some might have the mentality, well, I guess I'm going to go worship God today because he commands it, though I'd rather be doing any and everything else. I'm going to to meet the letter of the law, and I'm going to go to worship and worship the Lord. God knew that some might have that mentality, which is why I think he directs the psalmist here to include the words joyful gladness and singing we've seen joyful glad singing this morning haven't we God doesn't want us to just make noise under obligation he wants us to make a joyful noise unto him he doesn't want us to serve him unenthusiastically but he wants us to serve him with gladness he doesn't want us to reluctantly enter into his presence while sulking He wants us to willingly enter into his presence with singing. He doesn't want our attitude to be, do I have to go to church? Can I just stay home? Can I just sleep in? No, he wants our attitude to be, you can't keep me away from this place. Entering into the house of God with God's people, worshiping him alongside them. Is that your mentality when it comes to worship? Is that your mentality when it comes to coming here, meeting together, singing God's praises with God's people? Do you get excited about worship? Do you long to open up God's word with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and and draw near and hear from God, hear God's word preached and, and taught? You should. You should. Now, believers, if this is the way in which we should be, let me ask you, why aren't more of us this way? Why aren't more of us this way? Well, the answer, I believe, is is very, very simple. We are oftentimes unappreciative of of what God has done. And the reason why, I believe, is because we're forgetful. We are. We fail to worship God joyfully and gladly and willingly because we so easily neglect such a great salvation, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. We often forget where we were when, when God found us, the state we're in. We, we forget to focus on the great mercy and grace that's been shown by God to wretches like you and me, right? We forget that. Because we are a forgetful people, we constantly need reminding of the fact that apart from Christ, we would be doomed, sunk, without a hope in the world. We need to constantly be reminded of that fact. And also the fact that though we were once that way, sinners condemned and unclean, God has forgiven us. He has adopted us. He has changed us from the inside out. And he at this very moment, believers, if you're trusting in him, pursuing godliness, he is is transforming us from the inside out into the image of his son. Folks, I promise you, if you focus on these truths... If you spend your days learning and studying and meditating upon these truths and teachings, I promise you, you cannot help but make a joyful noise to the Lord if this is your perspective. You will be motivated to serve Him with gladness, and you will not miss an opportunity to come into His presence with singing. Well, there's another truth here when it comes to worship. A very important one. Not only does God command all people to worship Him, for His people to worship Him joyfully, gladly, and willingly, but the psalmist also tells us God wants His people to worship Him in word and in deed. In word and in deed. Look again at verses 1 and 2 and then verse 4. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Verse 4, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name so so we clearly see here that we are called to worship the lord and notice we're called to worship him in word and in deed now i'm sure most of you when you think about worship you think about worshiping with words right You think about doing what we're doing here, coming in, lifting up our voices in song, maybe shouting praises to God, spending time praising Him, thanking Him with with our mouths through through prayer. But notice verse 2. After calling for all people everywhere to make a joyful noise to the Lord, the psalmist says, serve the Lord. So get this, we worship God not just in the things we say, but in the things we do. We we worship him by serving him and by serving his people. Oftentimes, when people think about worship, they think about what takes place in the worship center, right? In In the sanctuaries across The U.S. and beyond, that's what they think about on Sunday morning. They think about a time of worship, a place of worship, a a worship leader, an order of worship, a, a particular style of worship. And each of these things pertain to the Sunday morning worship in places like this. But we learn in Psalm 100 and elsewhere that worship is so much more than an event one day a week that involves singing and praying in a facility like this one corporately. Ligon Duncan once said this. He said, Worshiping the Lord not only happens when we are gathered to praise Him on Sunday morning, but it happens in all of life. It happens when you leave this place. It happens in other parts of this church building on Sunday morning. With our workers in the nursery, our servants in Zone." Each and every week, I see workers back there each and every week, serving the Lord with the smile, serving with gladness. That's worship. I've had people tell me in the past, I can't serve in one of those areas on Sunday morning because I don't want to miss out on worship. Listen, if you're able but unwilling to serve, let me tell you something, newsflash, you are missing out on worship. You are. Like I've said in the past, worship is also what takes place when you leave this place. Worship is is as much about what you do Monday through Saturday than what you do here on Sunday morning. This time should be an overflow of a week's worth of worship. Imagine if that was the case for all of us. If this place on Sunday morning was an overflow of a week's worth of worship, it'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? It'd be like something we've seen this morning. may see Ron up here. Some No? Now Terry's saying now, <laughs> Yeah. So it, it's, it's to be an overflow of a week's worth of worship. Folks, you worship God when you're in the workplace, youth when you're in, in, in school, by loving and serving those who are in need, not just your friends, but those who are not a part of your group, those who are not a part of any group, those who are in need of friends, those who might be your enemies, those who many consider to be outcasts. You're, you're to go to them, you're to love them, and you're to do it with what? With gladness. With gladness. Knowing that that's the way God's dealt with us, is it not? You see, we were once on the outs with God. We at one time were were apart from God. We were opposed to him, his enemies. There was a time when we were not a part of his group, but he demonstrated his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, And remember, Christ says in John 15 that we're to love one another in this way as he has loved us. So God wants his people to worship him in word and in deed. One last point. Fourth truth here when it comes to worshiping the Lord is this. God wants His people to worship Him for who He is and for what He's done. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. You know, though this is one of the smaller psalms in the book of Psalms, this is a very comprehensive chapter on worship, isn't it? It really is. In this psalm, the psalmist gives us all of the reasons why we are to worship the Lord. Now, some of you might think that's sort of a crazy statement because on the one hand, if we got specific, all the oceans in the world could not contain all of the reasons why we are to praise the Lord and why God is worthy of praise. But if you were to summarize all of those reasons, I don't think you could do it better than the psalmist does it here. First, he makes the point that we're to worship God because he's God. Know that the Lord, he is God. When we praise God, we often praise him for all of the things he's done for me, myself, and I. And you should do that, but there's more than that, right? Do you realize that God is deserving of praise for just being God with you and me out of the picture all together? I mean, take you and me out for just a minute. Just think about God and who He is. I mean, He deserves our worship just because He's God. The psalmist here, he's reminding us of that. He's telling us we're to worship God as he is. We're we're to worship him because he's sovereign, because he's independent, meaning he's in need of no one and nothing, because he is all-powerful, holy, omniscient, knows all things actual and possible. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present. He's infinite. He's eternal. We're to worship him for all of those things and so much more. We're to worship God because he is God, but we're also to worship Him for what He's done for us. And when we look at all the wonderful things that God has done for us, they can essentially be placed into one of two categories, creation or redemption. And here the psalmist mentions both. He says, he, it is He who made us. God is worthy of worship because He, he created everything, and that includes us. He has given you life, and get this, He is giving you life right now as I speak. He gives us life and breath and everything. In Him we live and move and have our being. That is, He's worthy of worship for that reason, right? I mean, just take a deep breath in and exhale and praise the Lord. He is giving you that breath. But not only are we to worship him as creator, also God is our redeemer. Look at verse 3 again. The psalmist says, it is he who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now some of you may be scratching your heads, where do we get redemption from this? Simple, scripture is clear, though God created everyone, not everyone belongs to him. To be a sheep of his pasture, you have to be redeemed by him and brought in by him. Now, like I said earlier, many believe because this is in the Old Testament, this work of redemption is written to the Jewish people, and it's looking back at at them being delivered from Egypt. Because at this time, before Christ came, the the greatest work of redemption that had taken place is what God did for his people in, in delivering them from Egyptian Bondage, but we know that that God is writing the words through the psalmist here, right? And he indicates that in verse 5. Look at it. He says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. To all generations. The psalmist says here, Not only is God worthy of worship for what he's done in the past, but he is also to be praised for his love that will continue forever, for his future faithfulness to whom? To everybody, to all generations, believers, we too can praise God as our great creator and redeemer because he has created us, he is sustaining us, and because he has provided salvation for us through the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is worth all your praise. That is worth an eternity of praise from us. His faithfulness is seen in Scripture As we keep reading for future generations through the accomplished work of his son, Jesus, we're to read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. When we read that, we're to praise God for sending Christ. But listen, before you can do that, before you can worship joyfully and gladly and willingly in both word and deed for who he is and what he's done, you have to first be forgiven of your sin and restored to God through trusting in the person and work of his son Jesus alone for your salvation. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and if you're being honest, you, you have to be honest and say, you know, I have never truly worshipped God in this way, and the reason why is because you don't know him personally. And the reason why you don't know God personally is because you have not turned from your sin, forsaken your sin, and trusted in the person and work of his son Jesus alone for salvation. Listen, if that's the case, I'm going to ask you to make a serious commitment this morning. I'm going to ask you to consider it. I'm going to ask you to consider Jesus. Consider this commitment that will change the course of your life in the best way, in a God-honoring way, Scripture is, is clear, as we've talked about already. God has created us for himself, for his glory. The problem is that each and every one of us, we, we've turned away from him. We have rejected his rule and reign in our life. We have, we have chosen to go at life on our own. And because of this sin, we have been separated from God and set against him in our sin. But, but again, remember, scripture tells us, though we are sinners, God demonstrated his great love for us by reaching out to us again through the person And work of his son the Lord Jesus Christ God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Jesus emptied himself by becoming one of us by taking on flesh moving into the neighborhood tabernacling among us he lived for us the perfect life we could never live he met every demand God placed on man Christ met it perfectly but not only that he did what what we could never do he laid his life down the perfect life as a substitute for ours as our perfect sacrifice as we sing in here, he gave, he gave his life away. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we through him might become the righteousness of God through faith alone in his person and work alone through his life, death, and resurrection. We can be forgiven of sin and restored to God and have eternal life in Christ with his people in his presence forever. That's what Christ has done for us and if you're here this morning and you have not responded to this gospel message I urge you to respond to it today give your life up and over to Christ turn from your sin and be saved today through trusting in him let's pray